Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff. They'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. We've got Jason the Shadow Loftus. The Shadow, wow. The Shadow, you, you deal in light and shadows. Right. Yeah, you can't give yourself a nickname. It doesn't work. So no, it doesn't. We're going with the shadow. The shadow. Okay. Mark the master Raycroft, and Michael Movie Morrow <laughs> come to us from the far south. I'm not sure what to think of these nicknames, and I'm trying to come up with one. We've got to you. What's yours, man? We've got to get one back at you. What did Jason Rick- just say? You can't give yourself a, a nickname. I know, right? R- Ricochet Ron. Ricochet. <laughs> maybe not i don't know (laughs) so what we're going to do this week is we're going to bring some questions mark uh lit up the storyboard for the wild and exposed instagram page with a request for questions and we had a good response from actually all over the planet which is very nice so we have we have a nice selection coming to you from around the globe around North America and and around the globe. Uh, But first, let's just catch up real quick. Mark, have you been able to get out or are you still on lockdown? I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Next. Okay, Mark's been editing. (laughs) (laughs) I've pretty much been doing the same, but... It's been the quietest spring. Just, it's the backyard game, right? Local stuff. I can yep. drive to wilderness places, but back the same day. In it, that's we. What's going on for you guys? I'll throw it back at you, Ricochet. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a little bit of a va- little short vacation. It was not a photo trip. Intentionally to get oh, some that's images. Right? What was that? You talked about it. Yeah. So it was a trip to the trip to the Black Hills. Uh, some friends we hadn't seen for at least a decade. Uh, they've been over in Mongolia working over there. And uh, 
So we had a good conversation about Mongolia, and it's definitely a place that we need to put on the radar. There's some great opportunities over there that not too many people know about. And then yesterday kind of, I guess, tied it all together with a helicopter tour through the Black Hills. Got a little bit of footage. That was the first time Christy's ever been in a helicopter. So she was excited, and uh, I did get a little bit of footage, mostly of the monuments, but we did see some elk from the air and then saw some mountain goats in the area of of Mount Rushmore. So it was a good trip. It was a fun trip, relaxing. I needed to just kind of relax and not think about it too much, but that's that's what it turned out to be and was kind of just what the doctor ordered. How about you, Jason? Shadow. Uh, yeah, Shadow. <laughs> I've been out chasing shadows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. That's why you got the nickname. <laughs> oh, boy. I got a couple trips planned. I'm just doing some editing right now and um, looking forward to trying to get up to the Tetons and go down and chase some more lizards and stuff. So those are the couple of things that I've got on the horizon, but nothing right this minute. Michael movie. Shooting movies. Well, not movies. I don't know what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting, but I don't know ultimately what it's for, for somebody. But a lot of wildlife, so that's been good. A lot of southern wildlife. A lot of hot, muggy, watery, buggy places. But it's still pretty cool to be out there. Well, coming from a climate as dry as Colorado, aside from the insect bites, you're going to come back with a nice hydrated skin. <laughs> and, then, and then you return to the dry air. And Oh, no kidding. You'll turn to ash in a hurry. Yep. Then I'm looking forward <laughs> to going to Alaska because it's the happy medium, right? It's yeah. not too humid, but humid enough and not too hot or too cold. It's just right. It's nice. just right. I'm looking forward to going to Alaska too, but I'm not going as soon as you are, unfortunately. So, Mark, you've got a list of questions. Take it away. Got them in there. I want to thank everybody for replying. A great variety, as Ron was pointing out, of people from all different areas and a great variety of questions of different subjects too. So we'll get to as many of them as possible and those that we don't we may do another podcast down the road the, wasn't necessarily the first one i was going to start with but this is where we're talking about so casey kramer uh crow's dog slade and that's c-r-o-d-o-g-s-l-o-j-d on instagram from alaska asked are any of you guys going to make it to alaska this year that's an easy one, guys. Hands up. Yes. No. Hopefully everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Please. At different times throughout the year, but yes, for sure. Right. Yeah. At least once. It's a happy place to be for anybody in wildlife and nature photography. So much to explore. Could not, couldn't do it in a lifetime. So, Casey, absolutely. It would be great to meet you in person one of these days. Does great, great leather work. And, yeah, and, and woodwork. Great cra- woodwork craftsman, yeah. absolutely. Check out his yeah. stuff, very talented. Yeah, I actually ordered a spoon from him. I'm excited to, to get it. All right, the next question is from Brenna, B underscore 
Hadlestad, B underscore H-A-T-L-E-S-T-A-D on Instagram. How did you all meet? I'm starting with easy ones, guys. How did you all meet? I haven't listened to all of the older episodes, if you already said. So I want to be nice to Brennan and say, well, listen to the older episodes. There's some good ones in there, but we can quickly say how we met. But you and Mike met first, right? So how did you guys meet? Well, we were both lost in the wilderness of Alaska. (laughs) And after months of living on this riverbed on opposite shores, we saw one another. The first humans we've seen in months. Anyway, we did meet in Alaska, in the wilderness, on the coveted historical photo permits in Denali National Park. And we were in the back. And that story has, I think, been told at length on an early episode, one of the episodes for sure of this podcast. It's come up because I was made fun of. I remember about something about my diet in the wilderness back then. So that's how Michael and I met. And then Ron and Michael met next, I think. I mean, I, I, I can say when I met Ron. Chronologically, I'm not sure where it re- is related to when you guys met, but uh, Michael and I met in Rocky Mountain National Park, just on the side of the road. We had both co-hosted an episode of Doug Gardner's Wild Photo Adventures. And I recognized Mike, and I had my son with me. Mike was kind enough to to put us on a good bowl the following day with nobody else there, and and we just kind of stayed in touch, what, Mike, over the next year or so before you drug me up to Alaska for the first time to go photograph bears with Barrett. Yeah, and that's been, what, several years ago now. Yeah. Seems like it was just yesterday, but quite a few years ago mm-hmm. and then jason i met i think i well i was with mike we were photographing in rocky mountain national park and met in person i should say because we had talked online um but michael and i did an episode with jason and his son hunter uh just sitting on a picnic table in a closed campground while we were on a on an elk trip as well yeah. In Rocky Mountain, I, actually. In Rocky Mountain. I knew about untamed images, but I had no idea. I didn't, couldn't put a face with a name until that trip. Yeah. Ah. And you've regretted it ever since. And that's <laughs> been, what, a couple of years now, right? <laughs> that's been three, three, three elk ruts ago. So, yeah. Really? Three elk ruts. We count time <laughs> that's as how elk ruts in Rocky Mountain <laughs> West. <laughs> Mark counts it in moose ruts. I count it in elk ruts. <laughs> You count it in sage grouse. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's that's the shortest version I think that we could probably come yeah. up with, right? Yeah. So thanks, Brenna from South South Dakota. And here's another one, Becky from Utah. B Moore Wild B M O O R E W I L D on Instagram. Wants to ask, favorite episodes or start at the beginning? I assume as a new listener to the podcast, and it's like, whoa, I mean, maybe pick two or three favorite episodes, but then, yes, start at the beginning, because there's so much history to our story, and and the first 
podcast we did was a blast hearing about Michael's trip to Antarctica. That's what I was going to say. That's one of my favorites still, I think, just because it's an area that I wanted to go to. We were definitely unpolished. But it was it was great storytelling. I could just I, I still envision the waves coming over the bow of the boat the way you described it. And you know, the the Russian boat that you were on and, and how you had stayed up at the top and, and just all the elements to it. So you start at the beginning, but then by doing that, listeners then I know probably a lot get onto the podcast and go backwards. And that works too, but it's kind of cool to start at the beginning and go along with the evolution of the show. Well, and it's the evolution of the technical too, right? Because I think mm. in the beginning we weren't so polished as far as getting our audio levels right and getting all that kind of stuff. And I don't even know when video came into play, but you know, if I had to recommend, and what I'll tell people all the time is the catch up episodes are fun just because that's more of our stories, right? That's more of all of us just talking. But then there's some really good guests out there, and we've all, we've had a ton of good guests, but one of the people. Chaz, he's like a wind-up toy, right? So you get Chaz talking, and away he goes, and it's a lot of fun because you just, you know, it's just like a non-stop conversation. And there's several other people like him that that we've interviewed over the years. I think one of my favorite episodes was Shane Moore, which is a cinematographer. Um, yeah, there's just so many. I don't even know how many episodes, total episodes we've done so far. But do you guys have any idea? It's in the hundreds. We're yeah. approaching and, 200, so we need to do something special for number 200 because we really just kind of glossed and sped past 100. So season four doing at least 50, we're, we're getting there. We really have had a tremendous wealth of incredible guests, uh, varying experiences and talents in different parts of from different parts of the world and different parts of photography or videography or camera trapping. So you can also look at those through the go on to wildandexposed.com where all the episodes are easily viewed, not just on the podcast audio apps. If you go on our website and look, every podcast that we've done is there with a description, the title, a description, a summary, the show notes, relevant photos that were discussed or videos or links to those destinations or those talented guests that we've had. And then you can pick and choose what interests you, where you want to go, what conversations. So there's those highlights as well that, you know, by going to the website, it's very user-friendly. There's like five, six, seven podcasts per page. And at the bottom, it just says older. Toggle on the older and you can go back and back and back and then see all the, the different ones and, and connect that way with, with guests that might resonate strongly with your interests. The only thing I might add is just, you know, to, to Mark's point, just look through the notes. And if you're into landscape, go check out the Ryan Dyer one that we just did not too long ago. That'll be airing here pretty soon. You know, if you're into, um, uh, what was the other? Oh, one of my favorites is Scott, Wil- Scott Wilson's. Yeah, I was um, going to bring that up too. It's just a great that, story. It's just an amazing story and it ties into photography and how photography helped him and through his struggle. Um, you know, Ryan Dyer has a similar experience that he shared with us that's, uh, that was very uplifting. And uh, those are the kind of things that, that catch me. But, yeah, and just go in and look at the notes and look for the ones that um, – the catch-up ones and the 
ones that we talk about pro tips. That seems to be a, a crowd favorite when we talk about pro tips too. So make sure you've got money ready to spend because that's what happened to me when I listened to those <laughs> and spending more money than I wanted to. But uh, Mike, Mike always sends me little uh, emails and links and <laughs> my, my wife thanks him for that. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next opener question from Gretchen K. Stewart on Instagram, G-R-E-T-C-H-E-N-K-A-Y-S-T-U-A-R-T, just as it sounds on Instagram. Which is your favorite dream shot, species and behavior? So if we could just quickly say what we would love to get in the future, each of us. Well, my favorite dream shot is the shadow shot. And that's where his nickname comes from. <laughs> that is the dream shot. And he nailed it. That was a dream shot. It's not my dream shot. I still don't know what it is yet, but it's coming. It is, eh? <laughs> You're going to wake up to it sometime. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> if you had to pick one, what would it be? If you, if something, if you could get a shot this year, let's say that any, any destination you could travel to, what would your shot be? If you could collect it. My dream shot would probably be a spirit bear in the old growth, in the old growth nice. forest, just that kind works. of set against that green. Ah, well, future one, I still dream of, of the encounter and to spend any amount of time with a wolverine in a landscape that suits a wolverine, a, you know, a rocky outcrop in the mountains and to get that pose where it has that symbolism of, of the power and the, just the terrain resonates with Wolverine. And yeah, that would be my, my dream experience and photograph to potentially get. What would be yours, Michael? Oh man, I've been sitting here trying to think of it. I don't know what it would be. I, and mine would be video. So I don't think it would be stills anymore, but dream sequence. Yeah, I mean, I think mine is more location based. I think I've always wanted to go to Kamchatka, Russia, so that's my spot. And then whatever, whatever I see there, but it's famous for all the same things you would see in Alaska, pretty much. But I mean, I guess it's a little bit different. So my friend from Mongolia has contacts in Kamchatka, and uh, I told him about your desire to go up there, and he's. We're going to make it happen. Man, I've got all the books. I've read all the books. I've read. I've watched any documentary I can find on it, and I've followed some people on Instagram. It just looks amazing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things can look amazing, and then you get there, and it's like, uh, it's hard to get around, or just, who knows? But just the adventure of it would be pretty cool. Shadow. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, thank you, Ron. That's really nice of you to say. And there was a lot of luck involved with that. We've talked about that before, but... That is that was a dream shot for sure. I 100% admit it and feel very fortunate to have had the experience. But um, for me, you know, it's funny. I talked about this on the last catch up, but the Badger experience I had, you know, I finally got to edit some of those photos. And man, well, that was awesome. I'd been wanting to have another experience like that for quite a while. So but I feel like I'm pretty fortunate to have been able to check that one off the list, so to speak. And hopefully I'll have more. But for me this year. It's really all about the bears, the fishing bears. And I really want that low angle, you know, boar charging salmon coming at me kind of a shot. That's what I have in my head. 
you're having a great year, my friend. Mm-hmm. It's been I mean, great. Speaking from somebody who's been, I mean, uh, yeah, just not traveling to destinations as per usual. But if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the year, this question came up on the podcast, and Bobcat was what you said. Check, Badger, check. Yeah, Bobcat Martin. Yeah, Martin's phenomenal, right? And then, yeah, odds are you'll get this. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, it's cool. Mike promised me, so you know. Okay, <laughs> we'll make it happen. I just teasing. All right. Well, thanks, Gretchen. Next one we have from Kurt Baldwin Wildlife. K U R T B A L D W I N Wildlife on Instagram. What are your guys' favorite ecosystems to shoot in? For example, forests, high plains, Arctic, etc. Go ahead. I'm all tundra. Tega Forest, where the Tega Forest meets the tundra, that's a happy place in early autumn. Maybe not in February, but early autumn on on the where the Tega Forest, the northern boreal forest, meets the tundra. There's so much life and color. Yeah, mine's mine's the elk woods. You know, that could be pines to quakes to, but it's got to be in fall. That's my favorite. Again, it's like gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere, right now I'm in the swamps, these cypress swamps. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a cypress swamp. It's freaking amazing. It is so cool, and you don't really know that until you go do it, right? And but then you put me in the tundra or the taiga forest, and that's my favorite. And then you put me in the desert doing lizards, and that's my favorite. I I just don't I don't think I have a favorite spot. I think any they're all cool in their own way. So it's just a matter of. But if I had you know, Alaska is obviously the the spot for me, and that's where I always go. If I don't have anything to do, that's where I'm. That's where I'll be. So I guess. Anything in Alaska is pretty much it, but that runs the gamut too, from what sea level to twenty thousand two hundred and twenty feet or whatever that is. So, not a good answer, but that's my answer. I think I'll probably just say almost ditto. Um, I like wherever the good stuff is. I if I would have to say for Ron, even though he doesn't do a ton of it. He gets so charged up anytime we talk about underwater stuff. Well, that's true. But I, I think I've got to get have, there, though. Yeah, but you already know so much about it. I think when you do get there, you'll make the most of it, you know? There's yeah. a lot. People that we've had on, that some of those trips, if you get to do them, with the, yeah, some humpbacks, sharks, whale sharks, great whites. Mm-hmm. Do it, brother. Wow. I'm I'm working on an exit strategy for needing income but i i just need uh elon musk to go ahead and make his investment and then i think i'll be good to go (laughs) all right well thanks kurt next question is kind of feeds on the vein that we're going on here this is from birds of ray ray martinez in kansas instagram is birds of ray r-a-y when are you all getting together and doing a show on the road that would be great as well, soon as we Ray, freaking can, Ray. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't for COVID, we would have had three or four or five of those in the bank on YouTube, filling the airwaves with podcasts and vlogs for you folks 
to learn about destinations and share our enthusiasm with you. I'd say the best chance for that, though, is going to be Alaska this summer, right? I mean, who knows if we're going to be able to pull it off, but if we're all going to be As long there, as that... Mark can get the release, I think we'll be good. I Well, there's a plan to that. There's a, I hope so. Hopefully all everything will be in place and, and borders will be open by the end of summer at the latest. You know this whole thing, though. I mean, we've been guessing for a year now, and but it, hopefully that'll be the case. You know, and I got that, a friend that got stuck in the Congo when COVID okay. happened. There's no reason you can't get stuck in Alaska. Okay. You don't have to go back. Yeah, you know, well, and that's it. I where we are now, we can we can travel. So it's a matter of quarantining when we come back. But there's so I don't want to get into all the COVID stuff. That's no fun. Hopefully by then, yeah, Alaska is is definitely one of my, if not my favorite place to be. All right. So thanks, Ray. I'm going to jump back and have another question from Kurt Baldwin Wildlife in Alberta. I kind of like this one. It was different. Um, if you had to choose, would you shoot in the first three hours of morning or the last three hours of the evening? It's a bit different, but, you know, that's great. Now, we're presuming it's a clear day, so it's good light. You know, that's why it's the first three hours and the last three hours. But what's the difference between morning and evening? And the light to me has always been similar. I don't see much of a difference that way. I don't see any, to be honest. So as far as what you can take away for images, it makes no difference. But starting the day off by kicking butt with an amazing photo shoot in the morning just sets the whole day up high. It's, it sets the flavor and enjoyment for the day, the success of the day, and then who knows what comes after that. And when you're photographing something in the morning, if you're able to stay with it longer, you can ride that edge of harsh light if you have to. Whereas in the evening, there's the pressure, the sun's going down, and it may or may not work out before darkness and ISO 7500. We don't want to do that. So I'd pick the morning. Well, I, it depends for me. Like everything else in photography, it depends because like, elk for instance during the elk rut in the morning you kind of you get what you get then sometime in the middle of the day you put them to bed and you know where they're going to be in the afternoon and so it allows you to lengthen that time that you're going to have with them because you know typically either where they are for sure or where they're going to come out and I think that the evening during the elk rut is probably my favorite. But if I'm photographing any bird species, it's always the morning because when the sun first comes up, birds are just nuts. They're moving all over, a lot of activity, a lot of uh, interaction and behavior. So, I, you know, birds would be morning for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. Keep it well, easy. Not I think it's all species dependent too, because there are certain species where the afternoon is better. You know, mm -hmm. the lizards, for example, I think it's better in the afternoon. But good point. Where I'm at right now, the morning's better, and then in Alaska, it's I don't know. I guess it's you know, it's you tend to have really nice light up there most of the day, right? Yeah, on most days. It depends on the time of year. Yep. Yeah, by September, the light hardly gets harsh. Yeah, it's, it can you can go longer yeah. for sure. Some points you can your best lights at two in the morning. 
<laughs> there's that. <laughs> All right. Next question is from Joel Evans in Australia. Instagram is joel.e.photo, spelled F-O-T-O on Instagram. If you want to see some Australian wildlife, go to Joel's Instagram page. His question is, if you are asked to sell prints, etc., or want to start selling, how do you know what to charge? You don't. <laughs> Sometimes you charge what people are willing to pay, and then as you move on, you can set your own prices after you start to get, gain an audience and and develop a clientele. Then you dictate the prices. It depends a lot on the effort and the cost that you put into getting the shot, I suppose. And then some of it de depends on who your client is. Are you going to charge grandma Bessie, you know, five, 600 percent? Mark is. <laughs> <laughs> or are you going to cut, give the family discount? So it depends largely on who you're selling to and, and what for. Yeah. A quick piece of advice is it, that I thought about when I when I, I had the advance of having these questions this afternoon. Um, Cheater. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> is to, to seek out some of the wildlife or nature photographers that you aspire to or that you look up to on their websites and see what they charge. That can give you a starting point and go from there. Or just even looking at a whole variety of photographers online on their websites to get an idea of what going rates are for different size of prints, whether it's uh, regular print paper, fine art print, or canvas, metals, acrylic, all those you can fair, see and find fairly readily on, on people's websites. But then there's the, a lot of things in this industry. It's, it's a gut check to, too, right? I mean, if, if you sell it, you, there's just something internal about feeling good about that sale. Obviously, friends and family doesn't play into it. But just to make the sale to somebody... This is a piece of, of artwork, the image that you've created. It's going to be on display that they love enough to put up in their house. So it should pay the, the person who created it something to, you know, to keep it going, to keep what you're doing going forward. So to me, there's that gut point check where it's like I feel happy about the amount of profit over the cost of the product when it goes to the client. All that being said, at a fair rate, but I always have tried to create a starting point for prices by searching online and seeing what other people are charging in a field that might be new to myself. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd only add that, you know, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and who you're trying to reach to. I mean, if you're, you may decide you want to do fine art prints and you're going to try to reach a, you know, a clientele that's going to spend a lot more money on an individual print and if that's the case then you should a create work that's worthy of that and b you know charge accordingly so i think it, you know both of you hit the nail on the head depends and i did the same thing mark i've went out and just tried to shop around and see what what other photographers are charging for their work you know and kind of tried to base it off that because you don't want to undersell the market either because every time people do that it just diminishes it for everybody so there's a there's a balance there, and it's not an easy answer, but you just got to kind of figure out what works for you. Uh, the only thing I would add is we have a podcast coming up with a guy by the name of Taylor Gray. I think it's I think Jason, you have it up for June sometime, but 
really interesting young man who's a photographer wants to do the fun art thing and he actually went to school he's a totally wanted to be a photographer since he was a kid but when he did some research he actually went to school and got a business degree because he knew he could figure out the photography thing and i only bring that up because i think if you really want to make it and sell prints and make that your income i think you got to treat it like a business so you've got to do a whole profit and loss and figure out hey, I can sell a print for this much and it covers my time and it covers all this, it covers all that. So, you know, that's a really analytical way of looking at it. But if you're doing it for fun, that's one thing. If you're doing it to actually make a business out of it, you better put a little more thought into it and do exactly what you guys said, but then also kind of dig a little deeper and create some sort of little business plan that gets you where you want to be. Yeah, good points. Thanks, Joel. The next question is from Jake Zamora in Canada. His Instagram page is Zamora Z. Sorry, here I go. He's in Canada. Z Z A M O R A dot J A K E. Zamora Jake is his Instagram. His question: Great podcast. Thanks, Jake. What resources do you use to aid in scouting remote locations for wildlife? So I assume he means like really remote areas that you can't just look up and see the trail guide to some place, some park. And if we're going to a remote area, how do you find it? What do you look for? And, and I think speaking personally for myself, when I hear of a new place to check out, to explore, to photograph, it's usually something I've heard from a friend, a colleague, or stumbled on online as far as a destination and seen wildlife images that caught my attention, then it's a matter of just researching the internet. And one of the things, if it's super remote, is you know Google Earth is always a great thing to get an idea of the whole landscape of where this piece of wilderness is and what it's made up of and what might be required. If it's that kind of case where you're being dropped in for 10 days in the Brooks Range or something and want to film up there or if it's if it's something more accessible there's always resources now on, on the internet by just searching all kinds of keywords associated with that location's name or region that's what i'd suggest yeah and we've talked about searching hashtags on instagram to get a general idea it's not going to be specific call the local biologist uh, sometimes they'll give you information sometimes they won't and you just have to be respectful either way. Um, get a hold of some local photographers. Find a, you know, somebody maybe somebody that's got a a gallery in the area. And again, they're not going to give you specifics, and you need to be respectful of that. But they may give you some, you know, general places to start. They may give you nothing, um, but that's that's their prerogative at that point. So those are. Or take a tour. I mean, if you're going into the Canadian Rockies, take a tour for a day. Spend the money to jump on a van. That definitely will give you a head start on where you should be when you're photographing on your own. Yep. Yeah, only thing I'd add is just don't forget the like the map apps, Go Hunt, and some of those that give you the information about landowners and what's private, what's public, and they can be a very useful tool too. So, Good advice. 
So next question is from Sarah Mareska. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Her Instagram is Ellie underscore S-L-A-R-A. Sarah's question is, what's the best way for a beginning nature photographer to learn remote hiking skills and safety? And it's the same kind of thing as far as finding at a new location and taking a photo tour. There are places, and I don't know about every state, but I assume there are. If there's a destination in mind or somebody wants to learn more about wilderness safety and survival, there are courses mm -hmm. that people can take, whether it's on water, whether it's camping, hiking, and wilderness first aid, those kind of courses are offered and, and definitely worth doing. For yeah, maybe I'd just say find somebody that has that experience and, you know, ask if you can tag along and, you know, learn that way too. It might be another option. Uh, some of those things are hard to learn on your own. So, you know, maybe find a somebody that's got the knowledge and the years of experience and go learn from them. The next question is a subject that we covered uh, with Joe Sobolewski on his awesome podcast a couple of months ago, but we can touch on it quickly. There might be a couple of tips the guys can throw out here. Melissa Mead from Alaska, M-J-M-E-A-D-E -E Photography on Instagram. Some great work, Melissa. Check out her Instagram page. What are some tips for photographing birds in flight, such as eagles? Fast shutter speed. Hold the button Ooh. down. <laughs> Ooh, I got a good one. I got a good one. Get a mirrorless <laughs> with a high frame oh, rate man. and hold the button down. <laughs> high frame rate and follow focus. That's all yeah. cheating, but yes. <laughs> and I, if you're shooting a DSLR, one thing that we didn't talk about, I don't think when Joe was on there was, was switching because most of the time we'll use single point focus. And if you know you're going to be photographing birds in flight, don't be afraid to switch it to the, the cluster. So it'd be five point with that central point being the one that you control or there's a, a nine point. So you just have a little bit more forgiveness. It's like when Michael talks about going, you know, shooting in F eight rather than shooting at F four, even though the lens has the capability, you give yourself a little bit of a cheat and you do the same thing with the focus point. So as that bird's moving through the frame and you don't have the ability to have the auto follow focus in your camera system, you can still have a little bit of a cheat by giving yourself those extra few focus points that are going to catch that animal as it flies through the scene. I think it's a rhythm thing too. So when I, when we do eagles, there tend to be a lot of eagles flying. And a lot of times it's just a, for me, it's a rhythm. And I like to just follow the birds and then they're all tend to fly the same way. They all act a little differently, but and the way you could practice that without eagles is you could do gulls or you could do pigeons or you could do stuff that are things that are common. And a little bit bigger bird is a lot better than trying to find a starling or something like that that's very small. But for me, I always find that, like, if we're going to go do eagles and we're on a three or four day trip, day three and day four are always better images than day one and day two because I've just got that rhythm down. I just got that that flow for some reason it just works and it's a little bit about holding whatever your lens you're using and handheld is obviously the way to go nowadays um back in the day it was using a wimberly or a gimbal style head which gave you a little bit more flow but that was why i used it is because it gave you that flow and i just think that helped me a ton spoken by from experience that's that's great pro tip so there's a aperture question tying into bit what you were just touching on ron uh, Kalen Wild Photo, 
his name's Kyle. So, but the Instagram handle is K A L L E N dot W I L D P H O T O. Kyle's question: Do you use a smaller aperture when photographing an animal in the distance with your zoom? So, I'm not sure how you guys interpret that, but if we're zoomed in, but the animal's a long way off, I would bump up the aperture a little bit versus having a shallow if it's photographing an animal that's a long way from my position. You mean where you can't separate it, right? You can't separate the animal yeah, from your background. Right. So, if you There's bump no it point. up, it's not, yeah. It's, not I'd bump it up a bit because it's more of an environmental scene, or I find when, when I zoom in at 500, let's say on the 2 to 500 at 5.6, <clears throat> at 500 and an animal that's 100 or 150 yards away, I mean, that's challenging to begin with. And so it just gives a little bit more depth and gets a whole animal focus in some of the foliage. That, that's my approach to that one. It's not, I don't think it's at all the photographic strategy of cleaning the background because then the animal's closer where you have that ability to go shallow mm -hmm. depth of field for that smooth background. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, sorry. Oh, I was going to say the advantage of having them further away, if you have a lens that's capable of going to f4 or even f2.8, my mentor used to say f8 is not f8 is not f8 is not f8. So when it's closer, f8 is a, sh is a shallower sliver of focal plane. But the further away it gets, the deeper that focal plane becomes. So at five six like you're talking about you may be at depending on where the animal's at in your frame or in your scene you may be at what's called hyperfocal distance where it's going to get even at f5 six you're going to have the entire scene in focus everything won't be as sharp but it will be sufficiently sharp so there's a there's a lot to learn and that's a that's a loaded question because it it depends on where you're at, what you're shooting, just exactly how far away they are, and how much light you have. That's the other advantage to have a, you know, a wider aperture, so a lower number, have the capability of opening that aperture up, is that, you know, you can stay out and shoot a little bit longer. Yeah, and I actually, I just think the reverse way that Mark does, so it's interesting. I probably should learn something from this, but. <laughs> no, um, not necessarily, no. No, no, it's just a different thought process, but I, and I think a lot of it depends, right? That's That should be our new shirt, right? Ask me a question, it depends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you do have good separation from the background, then going to F4 or F2.8 can also make a pretty dramatic effect as well. So I guess my advice would be, Hey, if you got the animal out there and it's that far away, you probably have some time. I'd probably shoot at a bunch of different apertures and see what you like, you know? Not, oh, it's, yeah. All right. It depends. It really does. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> it depends. Sure, sure. Well, it's, it's, it's so much, it depends on what the habitat it's in. Is it clean mm -hmm. or is it, you know, next to evergreens? Is it, what's, what's the situation that's happening? So I think, yep. I think all, both answers or all the answers are, are fine for sure. My next question is from Ethan Hogard in Missouri. His Instagram page is up the creek photography with an underscore between each word, up the creek photography. Ethan's questions for the Yellowstone guys. What's in your camera bag for a fall Yellowstone trip, including all the knickknacks? 
What do you guys take to the field? Water, bear spray. Bear spray is probably the number one knickknack. You take two? I do. You have one on your tripod, one on your waist? Um, on my body, yep. yep. Uh, layers, because you never know. And I'm kind of falling in love with these lighter weight down jackets because they are a good insulating kind of mid-layer. But layers are very important in the fall. Well, in the spring and fall, because temperatures can vary, you know, 30, 40, 50 degrees in Yellowstone pretty easily. I don't, as far as knickknacks, I think that's about it. Sandbag and, you know, a tripod just to extend your shooting time. Power bars always, no matter where you're going, but. Life straw. (laughs) It depends on how close you are to the elk wallow. Whether or not you need a livestock. <laughs> Didn't you hear a story of somebody doing that once? I don't know. It works. I know it works. I, I have life straws, but I, I just I thought I think story. Jason means that it works in a wallow. Yeah. Oh, oh. It does. It's nasty, but it does. You gotta trust your filter. <laughs> true grit, boys. True grit. Yeah. I was just gonna say I'd add a lens coat. My raincoat, um, I definitely have that on me. Um, you never know when weather's going to come. And um, you said the bean bag. That's great. I actually used that on this last trip to Yellowstone when I was shooting some of the eared greaves to get low. I just laid my sandbag on the ground and laid down in the water and got a little wet and had some fun. Um, and then I would also take a wide-angle lens and my filters and my remote shutter and the tripod like Ron mentioned just because – I've had some opportunities at that time of year to have some, maybe some starscape type opportunities and some things like that. Um, and all, all of my little knickknacks that Mike sent me that I bought, um, I make sure those are with me. <laughs> little toolkits and the little repair stuff and all those things, because they have actually come in handy already. So it's nice to have those things in an emergency. Um, yeah, it's, that's, I don't have a lot other than that, all the things that Ron mentioned. We can tie uh, another question in that kind of piggybacks on that, not for location, but as far as in the field. Manuel Rivera from Texas, his Instagram, the real Manuel Rivera, all one word. His question is, what is your favorite backpack to haul your gear in the field? And I know things are changing more all the time that way, so we could just touch on that quickly. I think Michael had one that he mentioned to me not too long ago. The f-stop. Yeah, the f-stop. f-stop. That's what I'm using currently. And it's awesome. But it's a little bit on the spendier side, but, you know, you get what you pay for. But I've had them all from Think Tank to Mindshift to Load mm. to Tamarack. I think they're all pretty good as far as, you know what, I, I number one thing I'm looking for nowadays is the suspension system. Because if you're carrying it around a long ways, you just want to be comfortable. And then the equipment is secondarily looked at after that. But the F-stop bags are kind of cool. The coolest thing about the bag I have right now is you, it's got this internal cube. So it's got a full-on backpack that would be just like a traditional backpack with a really nice suspension system. The actual part that you put all your camera gear in is this cube that you can pull out 
so and the re main reason for that is is the backpack is too big to put in an overhead compartment on a plane but the cube is sized just right so if you've got all your stuff in that cube you can throw it in the overhead and check your bag through and then you have your backpack on the other end which is kind of cool so that's the benefit that i've been seeing with the the new f-stop bags what about you guys yeah i'll just say i'm with you on the f-stop that's what i have it's what i've been using and i love the ability it's it's really a backpacking backpack that's made to fit the icus that you talked about and you and they come in different sizes so you can you can uh you can what's the word i'm looking for modular yeah well, you, they're modular but you can customize holy cow um, you can customize it to fit whatever kind of trip or adventure you're going on. And then you have extra room in your bag to carry all the other essential things like rain gear and stuff like that. So that's what I like about it. Yeah, I, I can honestly say I haven't found my favorite photo bag yet, but I do like the modular ability to throw it in a a backpacking backpack because they're obviously built to cover the miles and, and that gives you the opportunity to stay a little bit more comfortable but that being said when you throw one of those modulars in a regular backpacking backpack it does not necessarily fit the same as it would without or with just your regular gear in there so that's something to keep in mind but i yeah i haven't found the one that i'm gonna fall in love with yet all right so we shall we do one more there's a whole pile of of other questions, but we'll get to them in a future podcast. I expect this is a kind of different one. It's Kurt Baldwin again. And it's, if you had to choose between a 400 F two eight with a 1.4 converter or a 500 F four, which would you and why? If I was shooting Sony, <laughs> If I was shooting Sony, I think I'd probably go with the, the 400 28 with the 1.4 because their teleconverters seem to be a lot more accurate than Canon's. Uh, the, honestly, Kurt, I hate to throw a kink in it, but, but the Canon 200 to 400 with the built-in 1.4 is what I would carry. Yeah, and maybe it should be an open question is, is instead of picking one of these two lenses. I mean, I'd go with the 500 F4 because of the weight, but I wouldn't honestly carry either now. I mean, how about a question where we spin it and say, what what's your choice lens? But it's, it's for wildlife for me. I mean, I know the primes have their place, especially with the, the lower aperture capability, but Generally speaking, the zooms win out every day for me. The big telephoto zoom for composition variety. I know what Jason's going to say. I know no, what it's just, I, love, I love how, I was, how I, each of us think so differently. It's just awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, nice and I love, my, I love my zoom. No, I love my zoom. And I with my 1 to 500, my Canon, I'm loving this thing. It's incredibly sharp. I, great. It's done great for me. But I also love my primes, and if I would actually throw in, I wouldn't choose either one of those lenses. The next prime I plan on buying is the 600 f4, and I plan on getting the 1.4 with it. Um, I I want I like my 1 to 500 for the zoom range, but then I want that extra reach if I need it, and I think the prime still has better quality overall. So 
<laughs> no, no. Here's my, no a question. Just from a from a listener's point of view, sure. We all can carry so much gear. So, I mean, the new Canon one to five is super sweet, and that it's so compact. I guess, but you also want to carry a six hundred f four. I mean, or do you when you set in the field? Are you picking and choosing one? Do you, are you going with the six hundred prime because of what you expect to encounter out there, or do you also are you carrying everything? How do you, how do you swing that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I really, it, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it's building. I like it's it. official. Yeah. It's yeah. a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of times I carry both, you know, um, especially with the new Canon 600, for example, or the Sony. They're both so lightweight. I mean, you're not sacrificing much to haul around that thing. Um, especially if you have your backpack on and you just leave one in the bag and you have one that you're shooting with or whatever. And then when you need the reach, it's there. Um, to me, it's just crazy to not have it if you if you think you might need it. Now, if I don't think I'm going to need it or if I'm just jumping out of a vehicle to grab something, I'm nine times out of ten, I'm shooting my one to 500. You know, I might not mess with that. But um, when I was shooting the Greaves, for example, the Eared Greaves, and I got the bag, I got my my 500 out with the 1.4 on it and I laid on the ground and because I knew I was going to have to reach a bit and it's more waterproof and so on. It was kind of raining at the time. So, I mean, it, there's just so many things that play into it, right? It really does depend. But most of the time, I like to have both of them on me. Um, and I re- with the newer one, I'm excited about getting a new Prime because my 500 is not light. Um, and this new, the newer 600 is, a, is, you know, significantly lighter than what I'm currently hauling around. So, How, how does the Canon 600 compare with size-wise, and I know we're talking 100 millimeter significant difference here, but the, the Nikon 500 PF, you know, as, we, as this conversation goes on, it's like, yeah, I could see carrying that prime because it literally fits in a, it could fit in a big pocket or easily in the backpack, let's say, compared to what a 500 F4 used to be. So is, I know the Canon 600 F4s are being highly touted with each generation of being lighter and lighter. Are, is it in that ballpark or is it still closer to the traditional 600 f4 yeah it's closer to it's closer to the traditional but so is the sony okay on that 600 but, but there but there are people shooting those handheld frequently now too oh, right With the absolutely the yeah, version absolutely. version three is very doable handheld yeah it's much lighter than the it. 200 to 400 i shot the 600 f4 handheld for a couple hours just practicing on on planes, float planes coming in, and it was not a big deal at all. It wasn't too much lens to be hand holding, and we got tons of sharp pictures. So, awesome! It is pretty light. Yeah. My new favorite lens is the Canon 50 to 1000. <laughs> Do you have it? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I heard that his new so, favorite lens. New is that yeah. your new favorite lens? <laughs> no, I don't have one. I've been using one for the last three months, but man. That thing has a built-in one, 1.4 extender too, 1.5 extender. It's amazing. But to be able to go from 50 to 1,000. It's not even funny. It isn't. It isn't even funny. But what's the, what's the mount on that thing? You can get an EF mount or a PL mount. Uh, they need an RF mount. Well, you can just use your adapter. Or the adapter. Wow. Yeah. That would be crazy. But you wouldn't want to carry it around. So oh, the whole yeah. discussion of lightweight is not, it's, it wouldn't be doable. But it's pretty amazing to be able to get that kind of reach or that kind of variation. No kidding. Yeah. It's just fun to 
to look at that lens even it's just like whoa some i'd love to love to have it play with it shoot with it someday it yeah so it's it's depends on this it depends on the situation like the primes work so well in, in some but I just, I guess I, my mind always goes to large mammals and moving through a landscape with them and the flexibility of the zoom. But I could see situations where, especially with them getting lighter and lighter, where it would have greater appeal to have that shallower depth of field and greater reach. Yeah. Well, the and I guess we run into oh, with the 600, though. Sorry, Jason. You're fine. The problem with that 600 is the size. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you got to get a bigger backpack because that sucker is. It's big. I don't know how long they are, but I would guess, what, 16 inches? Yeah, I mean, it's the same size as the version 2, I think, as far as length, very close. Um, but, yeah, you know what I would say is, I mean, the, the question was very specific to primes, but um, yeah. I would first and foremost get me a good zoom, to your point, Mark. I mean, if, if I was just trying to get into it, I would definitely go with a good zoom first. And then if you feel like you still want a prime, then go that route. But All right, guys. You've been quizzed for today. We'll do another questions episode in the future. We love the interaction with the audience. Keep them coming. Even when we don't prompt for questions, we always stockpile them and keep them aside. And even if there's time on a, on a podcast when we're doing a catch-up, we sometimes just throw them in. So keep interacting that way. We appreciate it. You can see more of our team's work at wildandexposed.com. On our website, where there are so many pages that Michael's worked hard at creating, not only the large list of episodes and show notes that we talked about earlier on today's podcast, but there's also connections to our, our YouTube and, of course, the store with a variety of product and merchandise that we've tested. It's a great company, award-winning company, where we've got caps and shirts and hoodies and tank tops and coffee mugs and stickers you name it wild and exposed our audio podcasts come out on tuesdays and our video versions come out on youtube on fridays at wild and exposed podcast please take the time to give us a positive review a thumbs up or a five-star rating as those do truly help us to gain traction in this busy world of podcasting whether it's on the audio platforms that you listen to or on youtube until next time You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed Podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town.